Hi, friends. I'm Renee. And I'm Anna. And you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. This week, we're discussing a controversial poll and what we've been up to in our personal projects before moving on to our main topics. Apparently, our new shtick is polls about boating, so I assume that during this episode, we're eventually going to crash into a debate about characters who are likely to fuck. Sometime that's going to happen in this episode, and I fully expect Anna to be on the wrong side when it happens. You are wrong, not me. Okay, take that back, young lady. No, I'm always on the right side, and you're always on the wrong side. No, of boning? No, I'm always on the right side of boning. I know way more about boning than you do. <laughs> oh my god, I think we need to move on from this conversation now. Let's get a little bit. <laughs> get it. <laughs> we'll also talk about the fall books we're looking forward to, Ghostbusters 2016 and Miss Marvel Volume 5. Let's uh, get started before we get derailed again. episodes ago, we read The Star Touch Queen by Roshani Tuxi and had a bit of a disagreement about whether the characters in that novel were boning. Anna was obviously on the wrong side and said <laughs> no, and I was on the clearly correct side where the answer was yes. Okay, please tell me that our readers agreed with me in the poll, enlighten us. So we ran a poll on Twitter I asked if the characters were boning. The options were, yes, like bunnies. No, they are pure. And the narrative is unclear. After the poll closed, I was certain that I was going to be the winner. But it wasn't meant to be. Yeah! Neither of us won. What? The internet is wrong. My option, yes, like bunnies, got 35%. No, they are pure, got 22%. And the narrative is unclear, got 43%. I think that that's a win for me. Uh, no, you got 22%. <laughs> no, that's a win for no. The narrative un- is unclear, it, it, is it's not unclear. yes. It's unclear, it means no. No, you can't. <laughs> nice try. Nice try, but no cigar, ma'am. It's not how it's going to work. <laughs> it is up in the air, like, unless we go to the author and be like, hey... Okay, I am going to email Roshani. Oh, no. Ask her. No, because we believe that the author is dead, right? So we shouldn't. But I really want to. Well, you really want to? Okay, I'll ask her. Maybe, like, maybe she didn't write it graphically in the novel because it's YA. Maybe her, her publishers didn't want it. And maybe all that she really, really wants in her, in her life is to be able to talk about it openly and freely. Imagine this. We will give her the chance and the opportunity to finally talk about how her characters are boning or not. I don't think they are. But they totally are, Anna. How can you still be so wrong about this? 35% of the people who took this poll 
said yes no. like bunnies she's saving herself because she doesn't know him properly yet so she doesn't want to like such bullshit i'm like i'm saying these things and i'm thinking rethinking it's such utter rubbish what the fuck does that mean getting to know each other better before boning who cares <laughs> so must- our first poll outing was unclear because of narrative shadiness so i guess we'll have to try again which we are by the way there is another poll available that I'm, it's probably closed by now, but it's there, and I'm sure this time I will win. Unless you keep like yeah. promoting it to your vanilla anti cross species romance followers. It had over a hundred votes this morning, and I was like, "Oh my god, people really care about you know the lives of animals." I just care about the lives of those two specific animals. They're totally, totally voting. Well, we will talk about the results in the next episode. And now we'll win. I'm sure of it this time. Don't get overconfident. another round of fangirl adventures where we talk about what we've been up to in our personal projects and what has book smugglers publishing and book smugglers the blog been doing lots we finished the novella reading and we chose our novellas and we acquired them all we were supposed to get four for next year and we got 12 We get we got so many amazing novellas that we just couldn't decide and we had to have them. So we've got a few for 2018 already. So it's not going to be 12 next year. So that's happening. We've got a new short story coming out next week, Superior by Jessica Lack. It's a YA short story, one of our, I think it's our third YA short story. And it features two boys. One is a supervillain's intern. The other one is a superhero's sidekick. And they kind of fall in love with each other. And it's adorable. It's so cute. It's so funny. I spent, I've read it multiple times now. And every time I read it, I have a smile on my face. And we also are going to be launching or releasing the third Extra Human Union novel this month, The Spark by Susan Jane Bigelow. The cover was revealed this week and is another beautiful one by Kirby Fagan. So that's it for Booksmugglers Publishing. For the Booksmugglers, I've been writing a lot of reviews lately with me taking more breaks during the day and being more mindful of Going to bed earlier, I feel more rested and I somehow find more time to read. It's been great and I've been finding myself reading things that I wasn't reading that much before. Like, for example, a lot of thrillers and crime novels, which I love. And I've read quite a few good ones lately. And I found myself enjoying writing reviews again which is so important because I was feeling so tired and so down. And now I'm like, do you know, I really like writing reviews. What about you, Renee? What have you been up to? Not much, really. I've spent most of my time preparing for Worldcon, but I did find time because I got an itch after seeing another terrible book list where all the books on it were by dudes. 
and the dudes were all like from like before 1980. I just got so mad, Anna. I got uh, so angry. I channeled that anger into making my own rec list, which I compiled from books I've loved, books that have been read to me multiple times by fans, friends, and SFF professionals. And basically, I just wanted to tweet people's noses. That was really what I was going for. I wanted to wreck some books, but I also wanted to just make a point. And so I titled this list of books, 60 Essential Science Fiction and Fantasy Reads. And there are 59 women and one man. This is the greatest list and the greatest experiment ever. It did really well. John Scalzi was the one dude and he like tweeted it out, linked directly to us. Which blows my mind, because I didn't think he would even notice. But like that's why I used him, because I thought, well, if he did find it, he would see it, and he would have a sense of humor about it. I could, and I wasn't quite sure uh, what other male writer would have a good sense of humor about it. I'm sorry, all other male writers. Because, I mean, you get these lists that come out, and they're full of men, and you'll have a token woman, and it's either Mary Shelley, Lois McMaster Bejold, C.J. Cherry, Margaret Atwood, Octavia Butler or Ursula K. Le Guin. All of them, I'm sure, are fine writers. I haven't read some of them, but I've heard great things. But science fiction and fantasy is so much deeper than that. There are so many great women writing right now. And every time I see a list like this, I get so upset. So I just really wanted to turn that on its head. And when you get these lists, like, and nobody takes issue with it being majority dudes. They'll, like, take issue with the books that get chosen, but they'll never, like, engage with the fact that women are missing, people of color are missing. So, yeah, I was just really annoyed. And I did it. And it was great. And then people engaged with your list in the most predictable way. So many people didn't get the joke. I'm not sure how I could have made it more obvious. I think maybe they just don't read a lot of lists. I pay attention to lists quite often. So I'm just aware of all, like, the tired tropes. But maybe these people just aren't. Like the people who would like crop up and be like, why is John Scalzi the only dude listed? I'm like, oh, sweet summer child. And it was so hilarious to see them, to continue to follow them and see the realization. It was like, oh, I went and I checked their hair. There's like, oh, it's a feminist thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, dude, it is. That list doesn't have Highland. It's no good. I liked the ones that were like, where's Mary Shelley? The problem is, if it was the other way around, of course we know that those people would not say anything. And if there was the other way around with a token woman that wasn't Mary Shelley, no one would say, where is Mary Shelley? Because they don't say it. Because we see those lists over and over and over and over again. So well done, Renee. I think your list is awesome. I'm glad to see that you include the Frances Harding there. I was really torn because... So much of my foundational science fiction and fantasy is often from YA and middle grade books. And you just don't see those on lists. And I think that the science fiction and fantasy field, the adult community, does itself a huge disservice by pretending that middle grade and YA books that are coming out now don't matter. Mm. Because like those books, those YA middle grade books, are the new Heinlein books. They're the new Heinlein juveniles. You just can't throw Heinlein juveniles at these people, these kids coming up now. Because mm. they're not going to give a shit. So if you're not engaging with middle grade and YA science fiction and fantasy, in like 30 years that when the when these people come up through the genre and are starting to write, you're not you're not going to be relevant. Anyway. Anyway, it was a great list. Well done. 
Thank you. Let's read all those books and talk about them in the podcast. I'm excited. New project! I'm super excited about this because Rosemary and Rue is on that list. I'm going to get you back into the Toby Day series. Yes! I'll finally get you to read Francis Harding. That's true. It works out for everybody. Awesome. here to talk about books we're looking forward to this fall. It's always great to talk about things that we can force on people's to-be-read lists. So, Anna, what book do you have for us first? The first one, it's called When the Moon Was Ours by Anna Marie McLemore. It's out in October and it's a YA novel from the same author of The Weight of Feathers, which got a lot of really great reviews, but I never got around to reading it. But I really want to read this new one because it describes the story in a way that really appeals to me. It's about friendship between a boy and a girl and then roses grow out of the girl's wrist and that gets the attention of the witches. I hooked you up on that one, didn't I, just now? It sounds interesting. What about you? What's your first pick? You're going to be very surprised, but Pretty Deadly Volume 2 comes out ah, on August wow. 24th. Wow, I am surprised, actually. What? Yeah, I'm super into seeing what they do with the art. I don't have a clue what the story is about, because I feel like even if I look it up, I'm not going to fucking understand what's happening. I'm just going to go and try the second volume to see if I can get into it and get what you got out of the first one. Pretty Deadly Volume 2, The Bear by Kelly Sudeconic and Emma Rios. I should put that on my list. I forgot that it was going to come out soon. So thank you. You're welcome. What's your next book? And The Trees Crept In by Dawn Kutagic. It's coming out in September. It's a horror novel. It's a YA novel. It's by the same author from The Dead House, which I really enjoyed last Halloween when I read it. And it's about sisters trapped inside a house and there are maybe ghosts. So I'm excited about that. And your next one. The only novel I've read by Margaret Atwood is The Handmaid's Tale. But now she's writing a graphic novel called Angel Catbird Volume 1. And the art is going to be done by Johnny Christmas. And this graphic novel is about a guy who accidentally mutated with an owl and a cat. I have a copy. Why do you always have copies of stuff that I want to read? (laughs) I literally just thought about this graphic novel this week. It's on Edelweiss. Right, okay. Yeah, well, I just saw the little blurb and it's like, this is an adventure and it has cat puns. And I'm like, cat puns? Sign me up. (laughs) Angel Catbird Volume 1 comes out September 6th from Dark Horse. And I'm pretty excited about it because it looks pretty fun. My next one is After Atlas by Emma Newman. I really enjoyed Planet Fall last year. It was one of my favorite novels from last year. And this one is kind of like a sequel, kind of like a prequel. It's a follow-up in the same world and it's out in November. I didn't read Planet Fall, although I'm staring at it on my shelf right now. Uh, (laughs) I'm shaking my head at you, but you can see. Listen, I wanted to read it and the library hadn't ordered it and I didn't think they were going to. So I just went and bought it. So then you have to read it. Anyway, so yes, I have a copy of it. I actually have a copy, another copy of something she wrote called Between the Thorns. Is it Between Two Worlds? Something like that. It's a, it's a, it's a different series. 
I actually bought that just because it looked interesting, but then I never got to read it because I think I bought it when I was in school. Well, I heard that this series is excellent and it's being re-released now. Yeah, I saw it got new covers. Yeah. I should probably give one of her books a try because I haven't read her yet and it would count toward my project. And you have read A Novel by Her Husband? I don't really want the sequel to that novel. Anyway, my next book is Savant by Nick Abnett. And this is a really weird sounding book about the Earth having like this shield that is maintained by people who, I guess, keep it the shield active with their minds or something. I don't know. Solaris is publishing some weird shit, um, but it all sounds pretty cool. And this is a debut novel for this author. And it comes out on October 4th. My next one is The Swan Riders by Erin Bow. comes out in September. It's the sequel to The Scorpion Rules. I'm not going to say anything because anything that I say would be huge spoiler for the first book, which I hope you will still read one day. I think you would really enjoy that book. It has some of your favorite things. Some of my favorite things. Okay. Yeah. And what's your next one? So I don't even know if this is a thing that's still happening, but it's still on Goodreads. So I'm just going to pretend it is a thing that's still happening. So I love the Mass Effect series, the video game series, and they are starting a new series called Mass Effect Andromeda that comes out next year, which I probably won't be able to play because I don't have a PS4. I'm really bitter about this. They are doing some tie-in novels, and I have no clue what they're about. But all I do know is that there's one on Goodreads called Mass Effect Andromeda Initiation, and it's by N.K. Jemison. <laughs> yeah. I hope this is actually happening in reality, because that would be amazing. It says right now it's supposed to come out in November on the 14th, so we'll see. My final pick is a novel about vampires in Mexico City, and it's by Silvia Moreno-Garcia called Certain Dark Things. And I really enjoyed her debut novel, Signal to Noise. I actually really, really, really loved that novel. The more I think about it, the more I like it. And I recommend it to everybody. This is her second novel, and I cannot wait to read it and see where she goes. I bought Signal to Noise because Ooh. either you or Jody loved it. Maybe both of you loved it. And so Maybe I it. both of us, yeah. So I have it, Signal to Noise. Oh my god, Renee. I know, I have all these books. I just don't have the time. <laughs> I'm too busy producing a podcast. That's a good excuse. On Twitter recently, I asked people if they had recs for arranged marriages, but with princesses. You'd get arranged marriage fic that's heterosexual, but I wanted it. I just wanted lesbian arranged marriage fic in YA. Like, I just wanted it. I, want, I thought, surely this has to exist somewhere because it's 2016. And somebody reminded me about this book called Of Fire and Stars by Audrey Colthurst that comes out on November 22nd. And it's about a princess who has been betrothed to a prince for her entire life. And then she goes there and she falls in love with his sister. This book has been on my radar for a while now. And oh, yeah. I have a copy too. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I feel so evil when I say these things. You should. You should feel bad. <laughs> you should feel bad for taunting me. No, seriously, that book has been on my radar for such a long time for the same reasons, I guess. I had added it to my re to read list, but then I forgot because it I added it so early. Like I added it before I even had a cover on Goodreads, and so I just forgot about it. People have been talking about that novel for a while now. I'm just trying not to get my hopes up because mm. <laughs> I really want it to be good. 
Yeah. There's also like secret magic. It's forbidden. It sounds so good. It sounds so good. <laughs> Catnip. So yeah, those are my five books for fall. I think I have like 30 books coming out in the second half of 2016 that I want to read. That doesn't even but, count the 62 books that came out the first half of 2016 that I want to read. It's September. It's the month of doom. You know that. I know. But at the same time, you know what's approaching. It's me reading the Connie Willis book. Did so, you ever get a copy of that? Yes. You did? Good job. I'm reading The Obelisk Gate now. Are you liking The Obelisk Gate? Oh, I haven't started yet. Oh, yeah, you're reading it now, but you haven't started yet. Okay, that makes yes, sense. Yes, I am reading it now like I'm reading it next. Sorry. Next? Okay. <laughs> yes, next. I'm still finishing this tour novella that I'm reading by Kish Johnson, The Dream Quest of Vanity Bow. I really want to read that. It sounds super cool. It's really interesting, and you would love the cat. There's a cat? Has, there's a cat. There's oh a cat God. companion. Oh, I need to read this now. Tor, call me. Tor, like, call uh... me. Not call me. Don't call me. I won't answer. Email me. That's much better. Who yeah. calls anymore? We need to change that. We need to change right? that catchphrase. The, the other day, my phone was ringing. I was like, what is this noise? <laughs> and then my coworker's like, Anna, I think your phone is ringing. I was like, what? Why? Who? Who's calling me? <laughs> What's happening? Remember when we would spend hours on phones? Whatever happened to that? I remember that. I would come back from high school and I would just spend the whole afternoon with my friends on the phone. What did we have to talk about so much? It's a, it's a mystery of childhood that we'll never know. Yeah, never know. So those are our 10 books that we're looking to this fall. If you have books that you're looking forward to that we didn't mention, please ping us with them because we'll probably add them to our list. Mm. And then die on the weight of our TBR mountains. Yes. Exactly. We finally watched... Ghostbusters 2016 and we are happy to report that finally there is yet another Ghostbusters movie that we agree on. <laughs> the rift has been closed. Yeah. We are no longer on opposite sides of the Ghostbuster debate. Yeah, we actually really did like it. Oh my god, so, it was so good. It was so good. How many times have you seen it? I've seen it twice. Oh man, I've only seen it once. You need to go see it again before it leaves theaters. It's so I good. I know. Where do we start with this conversation? I don't know. I because it's there's, so there's so much good stuff in this film. Yes, because it has depth. There's actually it's, a it's story rich. and it's and, friendship. And the friendship is actually believable, and you believe that these people are a team and they care about each other, and the friendship is central to the storyline. You start the first Ghostbusters movie and you have no fucking clue what's happening and why are these guys even professors at university? <laughs> I mean, with these women, you actually understand what they are doing, their background, their passions, and then their relationships. And in the end, he actually has a huge role to play. It's actually someone paid attention to the characters. I know. Isn't it amazing what will happen wow. when a director and screenwriter pay attention to character? Wow. It's like a whole new thing. When character influences plot, things work real well. Let's compare this to another summer blockbuster called Jurassic World where the characters don't influence the plot at all and this did get moved around by the plot and it's terrible. I really liked that one. Uh oh! 
it's fine for what it is. But yes. like that's an example that when I think about the characters in that movie, they didn't influence the plot at all. The plot moved them around. But in Ghostbusters, you can really see the characters themselves and their choices moving the plot forward. That's the difference between like getting people to really invest in your premise and feel for the people in your movie versus, you know, just throwing a bunch of special effects at them. No, that's exactly it. To the point where I came out and I was, I think, in shock because I had just watched the first Ghostbusters. And the improvement is so vast, it's almost like a Grand Canyon difference uh, between. Almost like, have you seen the Grand Canyon? It's really big. No, I have not seen the Grand Canyon. I don't know why I used that um, example. It's real big. It's real big. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a good it's a good analogy, but it's real big. I'm just making sure that you want to stick with that description because it's real big. It's an universe of difference there between the first and this one. I remember walking out and going, I didn't feel fat shamed once. Obviously, you have Leslie Jones and Melissa McCarthy, who are not typical leading women in a Hollywood feature, especially yeah. in summer blockbuster. But there was no body shaming. There was no fat shaming in this movie. They just got to be human beings that did stuff, regardless of their body type. I noticed that too, because in any other movie, that would be an uncomfortable moment or a joke somewhere because they were doing action things. Mm -hmm. They were running around. They were being active. They were wearing jumpsuits. And that is another point that they just world of suits the same suits as before and there was no sexualization of their clothes either i think the only one who got sexually objectified was chris hemsworth what did you think of kevin i really liked a kevin a whole lot did you like the way that he was portrayed and the way that he's and the dynamics between him and the girls were you grossed out by how airing was sometimes a little bit over the top no the joke really works i just thought it was funny the story well the narrative through abby who sometimes was like erin please acknowledge that she was maybe crossing a line at some points there mm -hmm. like with the coffee scene she's like i can't yeah. watch this yes. I can't watch it <laughs> but kevin was hilarious he played him so perfectly. I His know. comic timing was spot on. And there are, apparently there were so many of the scenes that were improvised. The whole thing with the glasses, did you know? No, I didn't know that was improvised. That's amazing. It was improvised. So they removed the lenses because of the light. And then he forgot and he was just scratching his eye. <laughs> And he forgot he had the glasses on. And then she rolled with it. And then he rolled with it. And then this whole scene was improvised. I love it. That's so perfect. One thing that I really liked was he played that character that women have played for such a long time. But those women never got to either live through or actually become part of a team the way that Kevin did. In the end, you feel like everybody feels for him that everybody likes Kevin and then he was too a part of the team. He was a joke. Like he is inhabiting this piece of comedy that's making fun of, you know, the past however many decades of 
how movies treat women, but at the end, they end the joke and they make him part of the team. If they hadn't done that, yeah, it would have, the joke might have fallen flat, but because they, because he has to be rescued and they save him and he is maybe valuable, not a a correct word, (laughs) but an important, an important member of their team. An important member of the team, yes. And are we talking about Patty? So the problem that I had with this film regarding Patty is that they were trying to pay tribute to the original Ghostbusters. The problem with that is that the original Ghostbusters sidelined Ernie Hudson's character. The way he was treated on the set as far as his character went, like sidelined and ignored, was not good. So when you're paying tribute to that and you pick up this three white people, one black person team and bring it into the future, you're sort of bringing forward those problems as well. Because they were trying to pay tribute to the original. They ported the format forward into 2016. And whether, who knows if it was knowingly or unknowingly, maybe they just made a decision. Who knows? But they reproduced the fact that the black character is othered. Although the movie does a good job of integrating Patty into the team, because, you know, Patty founds her car, their uniforms. She saves the day twice. Her yeah. ideas and her her knowledge of the city. Mm-hmm. But even though they do that, because they ported this format forward, they still like only bring her in as an outsider. There's only one part in the movie, I think, that I had a problem with, per her characterization. But just the fact that the way they introduced her. Like, why was she a stranger to them? They could have known her. She didn't even need to really be, like, a super scientist. Like, a historian is fine. Why did she not have a history degree? Why was she not working at that job? Because she couldn't find a job in the, her, her, you know, trained field. Why couldn't she have degrees? And why did they know her? They could have known her, but they, because they were apping that first movie and they brought it forward like that, it just means that she is like an outsider. Which, because she's black, creates problems for me, specifically. Right, and I, I didn't think about it in that way, but that that's a really excellent point. And there was a moment in the movie when they're figuring out, spoilers! I don't know why you haven't seen this movie yet, but spoilers. There's a moment in the movie where they're figuring out what the bad guy's plan is, right? And they get city maps, and they do, like, little things. And that moment is given to Abby and Holtzman. And I don't understand why they did that. Because Patty is the one with all the history, the knowledge of the city. Yeah. She brings up the hotel and how she knows about oh, all the weird things that happen at the hotel. Well, she knows about all the weird things that are happening in the hotel. Doesn't she know why the weird things are happening there? Or at least why people think weird things are happening there? Wouldn't she know that? Why did they give that moment to to Aaron specifically? Well, I know why. Because she's like your anchor character for the narrative. So I know why they gave it to her. But it would have made way more sense to not sell on Patty in that moment and give that moment mm. to her. They just made some really weird choices that just fed into this idea of her as an outsider. Those are really good points. Leslie Jones is a professional, and she's a business person, and if she thinks that she did a good job and she didn't have a problem with it, that's fine. And I really don't have much of a problem with her content specifically. Like, I thought all her parts were great. I loved her in this movie. I loved her too. But it's the undertones, the stuff that you have to unpack. Yeah. Which you need intersectional feminism and race theory for. And I'm just not sure that people in Hollywood have, I'm just not sure they care that much. Mm-hmm. I was torn with the way that the criticism around her character was written and the discussions about it were were, were had. 
on the one side, you have herself, Leslie Jones, being quite outspoken and vocal about, I didn't see anything wrong with the role. I loved playing in it. I was proud of it. And then you have a lot of other people, black people and white people, everybody, just really having a huge problem with the portrayal of Patty, especially with regards to the fact that she's the only one who is not a scientist. I'm not sure how much of an input I can have or I should have, probably I shouldn't. But for me, part of my problem with the people questioning why wasn't she a scientist is that that discussion inevitably leads to the problem that we had with Jupiter Ascending. A lot of the criticism for, for the movie regarded the fact that Jupiter in the end remained a cleaner. And everybody was like, why would she remain a cleaner? There is nothing wrong about being cleaner. There is nothing wrong about working on the subway. Maybe the context of it, like you said, historically speaking, makes things more complicated than that. But I was a little bit uncomfortable with her not being a scientist being equated with or working in the subway is terrible. They are two, two different things, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think that gets at the like intersections of race and class a lot. Yes. And it's really it can get really hard to unpack. I mean, I understand why people were upset about the scientist thing. I think what upset me, actually, as a historian who has a degree, was that they didn't give her a degree. Yes. Like, she just reads a lot of nonfiction. Well, that's great, but why couldn't she have had a degree? Because, like, right now, black women are some of the most educated women in America. It would have just reflected reality to have her, like, yeah, I have a degree in so-and-so, and and I'm working at the MTA because the field is, like, the field that I'm trying to get a job at is just terrible right now. Do you know what I mean? Like, that would have been fine. And I that, think, w- that would be my life. I have a degree in history and I don't work with history because I couldn't get a job. So there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that, I mean, I see where they're coming from and I, I agree a little bit because I think one of the things that they're hitting on is the fact that the, the way they ported it forward just recreated some of the oppressions that the original had in it. I'm with you on the whole, well, why isn't she a scientist thing? And I'm just like, what? Being a self-taught historian isn't good enough. So I think we got to be careful about like how we unpack it we run the risk of like devaluing certain careers or life choices in order to like uplift a character and this is also part of the scarcity issue right Mm -hmm. she's got to be everything to everybody that's exactly yeah and it's hard like leslie jones and that character are one person and one character she can't be everything to everybody and it's really sad what we need is more films with black women in them so people can see themselves and they don't have to rely on just looking, you know, getting one blockbuster with one black woman and then being disappointed when because of cultural biases and racism, it just doesn't live up to their expectations, which is perfectly fair. P.S. Hollywood, give more roles to black women. Yes. I have some suggestions if you need some actresses. I could suggest some people. And more roles to Leslie Jones, too. Oh, God. she was fantastic. I want her to have, I want her, you know what I want, actually, after I finish this movie, of this, like, please put her and Emma Stone in, like, a buddy cop comedy. Oh, my God. How? Because they're both so good. At, yes. Like, just really robust physical comedy. Oh, my God. I really want this. It would be. 
Who, who do we write a letter to? I don't know. <laughs> who do we call? I won't get on the phone for this. I will use a phone to call somebody to make a buddy cop comedy with Leslie Jones and Emma Stones possible. Amazing. Other things that I liked. It wasn't just criticism. I do have like things that I, that I, that I really liked. Like Holtzman. Like Holtzman. But first... What else did we like? I liked all the cameos. Oh, yes. They were perfect. My favorite my cameo... My favorite was Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, my favorite was Janine. She's, she's like, I don't, I, don't care what, I don't care what he did. Just take it. <laughs> oh, no. I loved... Like, Sigourney Weaver did more in that two seconds that she appeared than she did in the whole of the first and second movies. Oh, shit. She was a much more interesting character in that two-minute cameo. That's amazing. What a bird. <laughs> it's true, though. And then we have Holtzman. Was she your favorite? No, I, I feel like she wasn't. No, Patty was my favorite. I loved Holtzman. I mean, I did not like Holtzman. Holtzman was amazing. I bought a doll. Oh, wow. I know. Wow. I know. She was so cool. And that scene with the guns mm-hmm. in the big fight was... I was going to say something really bad right now. Say it. No, I'm not. Say it. No, say it. I'll I'll cut it out. Say it. (laughs) Anyway, while I was watching the scene with the special guns, I was just like, holy shit, I just came in my pants. Yeah, that's basically what I was going to say, too. Kate McKinnon is the origin point for the sexual awakening of so many young girls. I think so, too. There are visual clues that she's lesbian, right? Within oh, the yeah. movie. We yeah. can definitely read that into it. Yeah. I want to have that moving on. I need Patty and Holtzman fake ASAP. <laughs> I kind of felt that it was Holtzman and Erin, though. Literally, you could ship anybody you wanted in this movie and it would work just fine. Because it that's was... how strong the character relationships are. Yes. Holtzman and Guns. You can ship them, too. <laughs> you could. You could ship them. Yeah. So, Holtzman was amazing and... I loved how she got to play this mad scientist character, but she did it in her own way. Like, you could have easily, like, looked at the original, like, Egon, who is just stoic, and have run with it, and it would have been fine, but she really, like, takes it and makes it her own. I read her as being in the spectrum, uh, especially with the end. That speech that she gives that was so emotional, you can tell that that was... A limitation to what she usually does in that moment was really difficult for her. Mm-hmm. And it was so emotional. There was more emotion in that one scene than in the two previous movies put together. <laughs> She's, you're going to get in so many digs against the previous two movies. <laughs> Come on. It's true. It's yeah. so true, it's though. True, oh, but... how good was it to see Bill Murray get killed? Because it's like seeing Vecman get killed. I mean, I guess that was good for you. I felt kind of bad. I, like... I felt so good. So anyway, so I, I read um, Holtzman as being in the spectrum. I believe I read an analysis that said the same thing too. There are other readings. I like yours though. I can't believe you don't ship Patty and Holtzman. I'm not averse to it. I felt a friendship vibe there though. Do your friends regularly go around calling you baby? I mean, I don't. You may have others. <laughs> Please elaborate. Do you think? Yes, we, I think. Should, no, I don't think so. No, they. Yes, they are totally boning. Post <laughs> so, movie. Holtzman so what you say? What you say is that this is our new poll. This is our new poll. Hol, hol, uh, Holtzman <laughs> and Patty. 
I mean, where are you getting Holtzman and Aaron thing from? Is it that first scene with the dancing and the bullet torch? From Holtzman, at least, I think that in several scenes she was looking at Aaron and talking to Aaron and in a certain way. Oh, I see. I would need to see it again, I think. I would need to do a queer viewing. For science. This movie was so much fun. I loved it. It was. I loved it. I really, truly loved it in a way that I did not love the first two. So how many space beads are you going to give this? I want to give it a thousand. But your points about Patty are so good. So maybe dropping to four. But I loved it so much. For the effort they gave it, they made it a really good film. And I'm really glad they got to make it. Hooray for Ghostbusters! We finally agree! Marvel Volume 5 Super Famous by G. Willow Wilson, Takeshi Miyazawa, Adrian Alfana, and Nico Leon is the continuation of Kamala's story after the Secret Wars event. And Kamala is now a high school student, a Avenger, and juggling a personal life that is full of stuff. And I really liked this comic. This is my all-time favorite comic volume. I cried my eyes out reading this. I have never cried reading a comic before. And I couldn't stop crying through this because I felt so sorry for Kamala, for everything that she was going through, for how difficult things were for her, how she was trying to keep up with all the aspects in her life and always failing because, of course, when you try to do things alone, they are bound to go bad. But then little by little, finding new friendships, finding the support that she needed, and then the way that it ends, my heart swelled and I was crying. (laughs) This volume broke me. It's a pretty heavy volume. There's two different storylines. So you get like the first one where... Kamala is trying to juggle everything she has to deal with, and then she Hydra shows up, and they're they're, be, they're busy being evil and trying to gentrify her neighborhood and appropriating her image, which complicates her relationship with her community. And then in the next little storyline, you she has to deal with her brother getting married and her realizing that she just does not have enough time to do everything. And trying to solve it with mad science and everything going wrong. <laughs> mad science and Loki. And That's Loki. a combination that just, no. You no. don't want that, Kamala. No! <laughs> so the biggest thing here is, I don't think you're reading uh, all new, all different Avengers, are you? No, I'm not. Kamala's in that, where she's an Avenger. So that, I mean, that doesn't come into play in this comic. You mostly see her avenging on the sidelines. Yeah. And then when she's avenging, she kind of messes up and she gets discouraged a lot. I really like how they handled her trying to balance her life and showing how impossible it was if she was going to stay healthy. Renee, why is a 16-year-old an Avenger, Renee? Surely there are other superpowered people that could fit that role. Because she wants to be an Avenger. In... 
the end of volume four where she tells Bruno that they can't be together, she's like, I just need to focus on this now because this is what I really, really want to do. I really, really want to be a superhero. And so she really, really wants it. And she really wants to make it work, but she's trying to balance it between school and her her other superhero work in her own community that has nothing to do with avenging then her brother gets he's getting married and not only is he getting married he's getting married into another culture which also made me cry so much that wedding when he dressed up in her culture's clothes and then she did the same for him and they were like oh my god she's wearing this and he's like oh my god she's wearing this you just cried in this whole comic, I huh? was so emotional reading this. I don't know what happened to me. You you had some feelings about it. I had so many feelings. And then Tony coming and hugging her. And then, and then Carol Davis coming to help her because Kamala actually asked for her help. And then she faces off with Tony. And they were like, is she giving you a hard time? Is he being supportive enough? It's so cute. Yeah, that's a little preview of them, apparently explode in civil war 2 which i'm not reading i'm actually behind on miss marvel so the civil war thing she's like involved in it like a bunch of her comics have been more recently have been aimed at the civil war 2 event the next volume that comes out is the civil war 2 event oh hold on isn't that the one where she's ripping the image of carol yeah they (gasps) it's not a good situation okay oh no i can't imagine she loves carol so much i can't imagine I trust you, Ella Wilson, to handle it well. So I'm not worried about Kamala's comic, but I'm worried about Kamala and her portrayal in other comics, I guess. Right, yeah. So I don't know. I'm behind on a bunch of comics right now. So uh, this one, though, has a bunch of great new stuff. Bruno has a girlfriend. And she's amazing. She's so good. Loved how Kamala and her became friends. And I also like how they became friends, but. Kamala is still really weirded out around her. It's like really true to life. It really handles it in a way where they can hang out and be pals, but it's still a little strange. And it's a little bit awkward, yeah. And Mike is trying so hard, and Kamala just doesn't know how to meet her halfway yet. I like Mike because she has like two moms, and she keeps cookie dough in the freezer for emergencies. I know. She she took a she took a an urban fantasy defense class. I know. I know, right? I was like. Where? What? I want to do that, too. (laughs) I want to take that class. That sounds great. In issue one, I actually want to comment on the art. The art is always great in these comics. It's always beautiful. But in issue one, on like page 23 or something, they do like a flashback. And the art changes from one artist to Takeshi Miyazawa's art to Adrian Alfano's art. It just blurs together. And it's so beautiful and well done. I was like, this is amazing. It is. And then at the end of that issue, Kamala rides on, into the sunset on a giant frog. And then Mike has blue hair. I have blue hair right now. Did I yeah. tell you that? No, you didn't. That's cool. So now yeah. you, you and Mike are like hair buddies. Yeah, no. So in All New All Different Avengers, when it first like starts, you get... The the scene between Sam and Tony and Sam's like you don't li- I, like you don't like kids. I like seeing you pretend you like kids. The thing about it is Tony does like kids. Like it's well established in canon that he likes kids. So dear Sam, you're a dick. Reading Tony in this comic, like when he shows up, is so refreshing. I just really want them to let G Willow Wilson write Iron Man. Can you guys? Like oh, that? guys, guys. Is that is that another phone call we need to? Uh, it's another phone call I need to make. We need to call Marvel. We need to call Hollywood. 
because the way she writes Tony is just, he's so, like, he's Tony, but he's also, like, a human being. So, I'm assuming that Sam Wilson is the new Captain America. Is that yeah. it? Yeah. Okay, so he shows up here. He just he just doesn't treat Kamala right. He's very mean to her. And I don't know if that is just how Sam is as Captain America. Like, really strict. And, I mean, you get it from Tony, kind of, like, where he, he's kind of, like, the good cop to Sam's bad cop. And that Sam is just really strict. I was just like, wow, Sam, why are you so strict? So I'm kind of curious what's happening in the Avengers comic. And I'm kind of curious if it's if that's going to show up more in future comics as Kamala develops her relationship with the Avengers. Okay. Yeah, and there's cloning in this. Cloning in this Oh, comic. yes! Like, so many. Kamala clones herself. It's real funny. The reasons are you need to read the comic. It's great. The scenes with the clones where they fall apart. Like, one clone gets caught in barbed wire in gym class. My question oh is, my God. why does their gym class have barbed wire? Oh my god! I didn't even, like, click on that, but it's true! <laughs> and also, uh, Kamala makes a Ghostbusters reference in issue 6. The does last she? issue in I the volume. That. Yeah, she, she stay, she's stay puffed. She makes a Ghostbusters reference, which is <laughs> a nice tie-in. I just love this comic so much. It's so good. So what number is it now? This is volume 5, and this yeah. is like Miss Marvel 1 through 6 of 2015. Yes, but we are already in 2016, so there's got to be more. No, there's more comics out. There's more issues out. The next volume comes out in December. It's the Civil, okay. Civil War 2. So this comic continues to be great. I love the writer, and I love all the artists who work on it. I want them to be able to keep writing it forever. I'm really scared. Me too. I really love it. I would give this five space bees. Five space bees for the Ghostbusters reference. So that one reference is better than the first two Ghostbusters. Now it's time for recommendations. Anna, what have you got for us this week? I've got the new Netflix sensation. Stranger Things, binge-worthy. It's set in the 80s. It has four little kids as the main characters, and they are amazing. They have a little girl and Winona Ryder as the two main female characters, and they are equally amazing. It's just such a great show, you guys. It's It has tons of references to the 80s. It's nostalgic without being gross. And it has really updated the 80s sensibility to include kick-ass, amazing, beautifully portrayed characters. That's all I'm saying. Just go watch this thing. It's just so good. It's so it's good. It's so good. It's okay. so fucking good. I guess I'll watch it then, if you say it's yes. good. Oh, I mean, I love. I generally loved all characters, and I think they did such a great job of giving equal time for every single one of them. And you just care so much about them. You love characters. You will love these characters. I'm certain. Okay, I trust you. So, what about you? What's your rec? So, my rec is a Steve Tony pick. So, this is a story called "Toy Soldiers" by Copper Badge. This is an AU where Steve isn't Captain America, but instead a five foot four shield agent who hits on Tony Stark in a bar 
and they start a relationship. So it weaves in a lot of the plot from the first Iron Man, but it does it in a way that like doesn't erase Pepper. Because sometimes I read a fic and people give Pepper's canon role or her lines in the movies to Steve instead of making her an important part of Tony's life. So I really appreciate that this story doesn't do that. And it gives me a really great dynamic between Tiny Steve and Pepper. And which at some points I actually liked better than the Steve and Tony stuff. Uh, the Steve and Tony stuff is super hot and great. And I highly recommend it. And it's a really fun romp with great characterizations. Five space bees. Awesome. One day I'll get you to read Vic. One day. Anna, we've made it to the end of yet another episode. Hooray! We did it. Thank you for being the greatest co-host I could ever ask for. Thank you for being an amazing producer and picking the most amazing shit for us to read and watch. Thank you. Thank you. I also have some big news. I'm going to be at Worldcon this month in Kansas City. If you happen to be attending, please give me a ping via the podcast email, fangirlhappyhour at gmail.com or on Twitter. My co-editors at Lady Business may be doing a pop-up meet and greet at the con with me. And Space Bees are welcome as well. And there also may be a surprise thing for Anna that is totally <laughs> secret except for the fact that it exists. So if you'll be around, either give what? me a shout... Or follow us on Twitter. No! <laughs> you can't just say things like that. What is it? I want to die of curiosity. Shh. Oh, man, you're evil. Well, I will be at Nine Worlds, which is a con here in the UK this weekend from uh, the 12th to the 14th. And Taya, the other book smuggler, is coming over and we are having a get-together on Friday at 8 o'clock at the lounge bar at the hotel. So if you just want to come over and chat, we will be there drinking and, you know, having fun. Taya will be on a panel on Saturday at 6.45 and it's about negative reviews, which is going to be awesome! Our music this week is by Boxcat Games and Broke for Free. The instrumentals are by Chuki Music. Our fab art is by Ira. You can commission them at justira.tumblr.com or contact them on Twitter at It's Just Ira. And because we are super rad, you definitely want to leave us a review on iTunes to help us keep dominating the world with our media recs because we have excellent taste. You can find us on Twitter at Fangirl Podcast. I'm on Twitter at Renee. And I am at Booksmugglers. And as always, Space Bees, thanks for listening. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. The fact that Slimer shows up. Oh, yeah, it's with the girlfriend. Okay, listen, I had a problem with that. I, I lied. Oh. I have more criticism. <laughs> Dear Ghostbusters writers, I don't need your heterosexist <laughs> attitude all up in my ghost business. Why can't Slimer have a boyfriend? Why does it have to be a very obvious app of a like, fit, like traditional femininity? 
Huh? Why it why did you do that? What was well, who made this decision? Hmm? Yeah, I have questions. I have questions. <laughs> no, I can't.